0: But let's get our Bibles open this morning, and let's turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 23 this morning. Last week, we introduced a uh, a sort of a concept approach to kind of get Mark in us, and that's doing a little scripture memory through the coming uh, weeks and months as we're in Mark. Uh, And uh, we had a text, Mark 1045, to consider and meditate and memorize. Um, I wonder does any here that would just... Be so courageous to say, I, I think I I want to I want to say it. I want to communicate it. But there be anybody? And even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for men. Amen. Amen. Well done, Crystal. So we we're gonna just let that one kind of linger for another week. But the goal was maybe to at times a weekly introduction to a new verse. But we just want to get that verse in us. It captures some of the essence of where mark is going that this the, the son of god the, the son of man this term that references references the, the messianic anticipation of a savior to come and he came to give his life um, to serve us and to redeem the, all those who would trust in him so uh, keep chewing on that thank you crystal all right so mark 7 1 through 23 we're going to read our text in a moment now, I'm going to communicate a story that I think our, our DOCSA youth students heard. I've, I've mentioned this story because it seems kind of applicable to our teens' world. But when I was in ninth grade, uh, I think it was in ninth grade in high, while in high school, I was on the lunch plan there at school, and so um, all my meals were taken care of there on, uh, within the cafeteria. And of course, I got the lovely milk cartons that you know they still give out—white, you know, white or chocolate milk. And for some reason, you know, I was a growing teenage boy. I just would always grab multiple cartons to drink. And um, and for some reason, I uh, had this extra one, and I put it in my locker to save it for later. <laughs> I'm not going to explain why. Okay, I'm a teenage boy. The, the computing abilities, the frontal lobe, whatever's not fully developed in that season of time. So um, it would not have been a very big deal, except this was the Friday just before Christmas break. Uh, my last period, for some reason, I just didn't go back to my locker, and I was just out of there. And I was when Christmas break was ahead, it was awesome. Two weeks later, <laughs> returned to the school, where I'm with my friends. we're on the bus, we're talking it up. It, we're talking about what we did over the break. It was telling stories, and then we came into the building. There was this stench that was, just overcame me as I walked in the door. I mean, it was, it was rottenness, and I'm thinking, what in the world, did somebody like, puke in the hallway? Did somebody die in the hallway? It was really bad, and as I neared my locker, it became stronger of a smell, and then it hit me. That's coming from my locker, and I forgot a milk carton. On Friday, two weeks ago, and there was this explosion of just putrid rotten milk all over my books and everything. Um, it was bad, it was real bad, uh, but in my case, something better sort of preoccupied my my world in that moment, and I neglected to see like what this what seemed like small innocent mistake and leaving it unattended had a serious impact, not just on me, but on other things and, of course, other people, the people beside me that hated me um, for a while. And I'm sure the cleaning staff did their best that weekend to try to figure out what was going on, but, but no washing of the floors or cleaning around or air fresheners would have dealt with the real problem that was going on. And I minimized and left unattended what seemed insignificant, but that rotting thing affected multiple things, the hall and others. All, all the outside attention that could have been given uh, would have been great, but it never would have addressed the real problem. The real issue would have remained. In our text today, Jesus draws our attention to something essential, that, that the religious leaders of the time were, were disregarding in attempts to worship and honor God. They overlooked an essential part for worship and an essential problem to their worship. And the very thing that needed to be addressed, and that was, that was their hearts. And Jesus exposes that reality, and I think the Lord is going to use that to draw our attention and remind us as well what is most essential for us to give attention to, to worship and love him as his disciples. We're going to see that true worship of God is shaped by Jesus' words and flows from a transformed heart. So let's, let's read our text. It's a little bit lengthier once. Stay with me, and then, and then we'll pray. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down and many such things you do. And he called the people again to him and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the thing that comes out of a person are what defile him. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they devile a person. Let's pray. Lord, we... We need your help today to, to hear and receive your words, um, to hear and understand. Uh, we need your spirit. Uh, we need your spirit to, to guide us into your truth and to receive your words, your words that are words of life, Lord. Um, and so we, we we come to you. We, we, we come near you and we ask for your your words to, to penetrate our hearts today um, and to draw us near to you in a fresh way, Jesus. So do that by your work. Um, help me to, to communicate your words. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at our text kind of in just two parts. The part one here, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and part two the people, and specifically his disciples. And so the story begins with these religious leaders seeking Jesus out. Now, the situation is is sort of ratcheting up. It's becoming more grim uh, with this opposition, with this challenge that's coming, not just from crowds or people, but the religious leaders. And these aren't just the local guys. I mean, these are like the big dogs that have come in. The lawmakers uh, have come to town to watch Jesus and critique Jesus um, it's like saying when the, when the justices and all the senators came in from D.C. to Chaska to watch what was going on. I mean, they, these are important guys, authoritative figures to come and observe what Jesus is doing. And they spot a major issue of what was going on. And they observed that Jesus' the disciples were eating food with defiled or unclean hands. Maybe your translation says that. Note, you maybe noted that the word defiled was repeated several times as sort of a theme for our passage this morning. Um, But the issue wasn't just like their hands were like dirty. I mean, we we certainly know what clean hands means now. Uh, I don't know how many gallons of sanitizer I have gone through the past couple years. You can't go through any building or restaurant or or room without seeing one of those. But this isn't a hygiene issue. This was relating to ceremonial purity or ceremonial laws that they were imposing you see, God gave standards of purity in the Old Testament, the, the cleanliness laws, and so s- touching certain meats or being in contact with something like mildew or touching a dead body or certain bodily fluids, I'll spare the list in detail this morning of what those look like, but you can go to Leviticus and enjoy that later if you want, but they would make you, un- they would make you unclean, and these laws were to help Israel be reminded of the holiness of God and what it means to be able to access his presence and to honor him as well to be a set apart people but as time passed the religious leaders saw that there were they were appearing gaps in their ability to please God and they they, they wanted to add things as time passed to to which became these tradition of the elders this oral tradition uh, one commentator wrote its purpose was to regulate a man's life completely If the law was silent or vague about a particular subject, one could be sure the tradition would be vocal and explicit. So if it was vague, they felt that they needed help in order to do that. And so they were like these fences that they began to add to the law. So imagine a a city, a busy sidewalk down in a city, and there's this large manhole cover that is wide open, and there's a a sign that says, don't go in here. You will die. There's open electricity down in this manhole. Don't go inside this hole. Well, um, in order to be sure folks don't go near the manhole or fail to obey that command, they thought, well, we should put some cones around this hole because people might not read the sign and they may just go into the hole. So let's put some barriers and some, uh, some fencing and maybe some cones. And they thought, well, what if people don't see the cones? And uh, so maybe we should like block off the streets. So let's ward off the streets. But that didn't seem to be enough. So maybe they thought the whole block needed to be quarantined. And you could see what's happening here. the layers of what felt like God's law needed for them to stay in some sense, honoring God. And these began to become parallel with God's word themselves, but it wasn't. It was not God's law. It was not his commands, and it led to harmful results. Now, you might have picked up on this, as we read in verse three, Mark gives us little kind of parentheses um, to explain kind of like this editor's edition and um, Mark—it's really proof that Mark is writing to a Gentile uh, hearer and reader because he wants them to know and understand what a Jew would know, but a Gentile person would not. So he he kind of gives us a little parenthesis. So imagine if you like go to the market and you're in Aldi or Cub, and uh, you come in contact with something that's unclean, or maybe a Gentile, and you become clean. You need to come home and have this ritual washing before you eat. Because if you ate with unclean hands or pots or whatever it might be, it's going to get into you and therefore you will be unclean and therefore unworthy to worship. So there's all these rules about washing cups and pitchers and copper vessels and breezing dining couches. I don't know what that looked like. But Jesus' disciples are not breaking God's commands, the Mosaic law, but these commands or these traditions of the elders. And they want to challenge Jesus on that as if he is, needs to be enlightened Around this, And they charge him, your, your disciples do not walk in, in these traditions, and they have defiled hands. And, of course, Jesus does not mess around, and he, he just blatantly calls them hypocrites. Uh, this is a, a theater term. Like He just calls them, play, you're play actors. You're putting on a mask, pretending to be something, and he exposes them by quoting this Isaiah. Look with me at verse 6 and 7 and 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So Jesus is exposing two really two issues here. Their worship was vain because it was empty of, of their hearts being in it. It was just lip service. There was there was no engagement within their heart. And it was empty of God's word. So rather than being shaped by God's commands, it was their additions. And this these traditions were choking out and disregarding God's word itself and and totally nullifying true worship. It was detached from their hearts. And biblically speaking, they they should know what a heart is. You you can't you can't read Psalms and pray psalms, and worship with psalms, and not consider your heart. And yet they had. Biblically speaking, the human heart is our our inner self. It is the source of our living. Uh, It's the source of our our beliefs, our thinking, and our thoughts. It's the the desires, our emotions, and our affections flow from our heart. The, The willing and behaviors that flow to actions all come from our hearts. We live out of our hearts, and they, these Pharisees and religious leaders, had no hearts whatsoever engaged in worship. Now, I, I was talking with a brother just before the Sunday morning. I just think this text, as I just have chewed on it, has just brought me to a place of humility. To think, man, I, I could be like these guys. We we all are vulnerable to this very thing, We're going through the motions. The traditions of our church and whatever that looks like and we could sit through another communion experience and my heart is not moved by this thing at all our hearts can be left in the same place but Jesus gives us an example of what their problem looks like and he begins with quoting one of the ten commandments about honoring your parents and protecting and providing for them and those who don't should suffer severe discipline, and yet their teaching totally disregarded this, 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 this Corbin that they would say it means like it mean, a word means something is devoted to God, or it's given to God. The example would be something like you, you wrote in your will that after you die, you want to give all your assets to the church. You're sort of promising, "I'm going to give that to God." Which giving all your assets to the church is not a bad thing. so someone could devote and designate all they have up to god for example and we're going to give this to the temple and so it appeared as an act of worship of giving to god yet it didn't they didn't have to pay up now and they avoided having to use it to love and care for their parents and this is this is a catastrophe this is horrendous it's totally emptying the whole purpose of god's command and And it's not like they're just adding a few helpful principles or improvements. Jesus is is emphatic here. You have a fine way of rejecting God's commands. They were rejecting God's commands with their traditions. You were rejecting obedience, not just simply adding something helpful. Verse 9 says, You are making void the word of God by your traditions. And this is just one, one example. He says that many such things you do. And rather than it drawing hearts and others towards love and worship of God, it's compelling them away from God. Compelling others away from God. And these sort of layers and layers drive people distant from the Lord, not drawing them to him. I grew up in certain contexts where it was very rigid with laws and certain expectations. And even just as a, as a kid, at like, even things like listening to, to non-Christian music was a sin. That was a category. And that, that didn't draw me near and hopeful to the Lord, but it was empty of, of God because those things were paramount and equal to God's word. And that was wrong. And others, you may have experienced that It's the way you dressed or what you did or what you didn't do. So rather than this fen- these fencing helping in obedience to God, it derailed true intentions of a law, which was to be true worship. It created empty, vain, heartless worshipers, worshipers that were, had hearts far from God rather than near him to love and obey and follow him. And so Jesus drills down more into into magnifying the real issue. So it's not external stuff. It's not cups and bowls. It's not nice church buildings or raising hands or looking good. He's, He's going after something deeper, and he speaks to the people, and he says this, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Hear me, all of you, and understand. Now, this is the first time that Jesus has used this sort of language. Earlier in chapter 4, in the parable of the sower, multiple times Jesus says, Listen, hear. And even quoting the prophets of those who would hood hear, but they wouldn't be able to hear. Those who would hear, but not be able to understand. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is speaking with authority in contrast to the Pharisees and the scribes and what their authority would be. Jesus affirms the authority of the, New, the Old Testament and now he is orientating us around him. Hear me. The way and authority of his words are not like those of the traditions. These are the words of God. These are the words of the Son of God. And he is sovereign and he's authoritative and he he isn't just coming as a teacher but he wants allegiance and trust as Lord and Savior and God. And his disciples can also be disciples of the traditions of men as well as being disciples of his words. He's attuning us as disciples. Disciples of Jesus follow the commands of Jesus not the commands of men. And he tells the people, There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. And we kind of understand kind of what's going on because we know the rest of the text. But this was a parable and those hearers didn't get it because the disciples didn't get it. And they ask him, what does this mean later? They're kind of hanging out at somebody's house. And he tells to them, why are you without understanding still? The NIV puts it a little bit stronger. It says, are you so dull? Now, if somebody asks you that, especially Jesus, you just keep your mouth shut (laughs) and nod. Yes, I am not sharp. I am dull. Once again, we see the disciples slow to understand Last week, we saw that just after feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, and it says the disciples still didn't get it. Their hearts were hardened. And like them, like us, we need Jesus to explain and reveal himself. We need need him to open our eyes. And we need him to soften our hearts. But those who are in the kingdom, Jesus loves to help them see and understand. And so he, he does that. He simply says, boys, listen, when you eat, what goes into your mouth does not go into your heart. Notice that. Does not go into your heart, but it goes into your stomach and it is expelled. Literally means it it goes into the latrine. You, You poop it out is what Jesus says. The thing outside of you isn't what defiles you. It's what's in us. The condition of our heart is what defiles us. So our passage began in verse one and two, Jesus being challenged on this issue of defilement by the religious leaders. Notice Jesus doesn't doesn't avoid that as a topic. That is an issue. Defilement is the main problem. But he comes back to it and turns up the volume. The defilement is the issue, entirely is the issue. But they were misappropriating and not understanding and seeing where the defilement originates. They should have. They should have. If they knew their Bibles, they would be aware of Jesus echoing what Scripture teaches, what began with Adam and Eve, and what someone like Jeremiah the prophet tells us in 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who could understand it? Or David crying out in Psalm 14, 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The default mode of the human heart at birth is defiled. Jesus is telling us this is the condition of the human heart. I grew up with dogs, and yet I didn't grow up in Minnesota, and I, our dog Hazel, she'll be turning three this year, and so this is our third winter growing, uh, having a dog in the winter, you know where I'm going with this, I don't go outside and clean any mess up in the winter, but when the winter thaws, there is a mess, a four-month mess exposed, it's horrible, and it's accumulative, anybody who wants to earn some money, come on over, I'll pay you to take care of that. But the the winter, it's easy to overlook. I just sort of like, I'm in my house. I don't go in the yard. This thing doesn't exist. I just skirt around and not acknowledge that this is happening. But in turn, it's going to fall and it's all going to be exposed. It's all going to be there. Everything that was hidden will be unhidden. It's opening the locker. That's what Jesus is doing. He's telling us what's in there. And it's ugly. It's ugly. It's for each one of us to deal with and acknowledge for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All variations in all forms. This is not exhaustive. Out of the heart of man, these come forth. Actions like theft, just all forms of sexual sin, sinful thoughts and attitudes, coveting, all these evil things come from within, and they defile man. Nothing untouched. That's where theologians, we describe total depravity. It doesn't mean that we're as evil as we can be, but that there's nothing untainted, nothing unaffected by the fall. All these evil things come from within you and they defile you. End sentence. Jesus is done. I know you're just reading, I imagine you you would be hearing this as the first hearers of Mark and somebody would be communicating this to you and then Jesus stops. I just... Okay, what else? Notice where it ends in your Bible. Imagine hearing that. that. We're just left hanging. Now what? Now what? It's good for us to pause once in a while and just say, when, when have I given attention to the condition of my heart? What is in our hearts comes out of our hearts. We live from our hearts. And this is Jesus' target. He's He's not concerned about just adjusting our behavior. He wants our hearts. Jesus is showing us that washing we actually need is so deep and so wide and so pervasive, rubbing pots and washing hands will not get us there. Religious activities will not get us there. That is not worship. No external hoop jumping and rule keeping is going to fix this. We need something at the deepest level of our heart. transformation. A transformation. And this is the promise. We are not left without a remedy it's good news that jesus proclaimed the beginning that we know will unfold in the rest of mark the gospel story doesn't leave us there amen jesus came for people with these hearts with defiled hearts who are not in the best place even after coming to christ even if you're sitting here and you've been following jesus for 20 years Oh, it's he wants the person that just draws near and is willing to admit we need his help. We saw in Mark 2, Jesus sitting and eating with sinners and tax collectors, the doctor but the sick. I've come to call the, not the righteous but sinners. He is the expert of defiled heart people. He's not repelled by this list. He's actually, he came for people with hearts like this list. That's why he came. Those who know they are defiled in heart and they need cleansing. The admission and the recognition is the path to our cleansing and our freedom. And it's good news for defiled people who need washing, not just periphery, not just subtle tweaks to behavior adjustments, but sinners who know that this stuff bubbles up in our hearts and we need washing and cleansing. We need good news of the gospel for sin, sick, unclean hearts. Now, you might have noticed this little sort of commentary insert on in verse 6. Thus, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, I'm thankful that that doesn't mean I can eat bacon and shrimp now, but this is a kind of a rare occurrence for Mark, but there are several things going on. One is Jesus is being, it affirms Jesus' authority to pronounce God's words. He is declaring scripture. He is pronouncing something that is equivalent to the scriptures. And he has authority over that. It's, it's helpful for those original hearers, Gentile Christians and who are non-Jews, who are living in a pagan culture. They're realizing what they can and can't do to honor God. You see, the ceremonial laws were standards we talked about already to align with God's holiness and to access his presence. And Jesus is declaring by his life this new way that people will be made clean. Jesus came to make a way through himself, not through ceremonial washings, but through the fulfillment of those laws by his life and then the atonement by his righteousness that he would give access once and for all people into his presence. This is what's going on, and there's a transition coming here in Mark. as We've seen glimpses already of Jesus going to more Gentile territories, and next week we're gonna see this with Jesus encountering a Gentile woman in need. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is, is opening a door for those who receive his words, and they see their need, And they come in faith. Jew or Gentile can come through Jesus. This is glorious. The outsider becomes the insider by what Jesus does in the inside of us by his grace and by his righteous life. That's powerful. A gospel welcome that Jesus is opening up here. And I think there's an encouragement for us here as a gospel community. The good news of Jesus, church, welcomes what the religious or the world deems unclean. And if we're caught up, if we're caught up in the entrapments of looking to external things or trying to just beautify the outside, instead of identifying with sinners like ourselves, who are at the very core, at the very center, have a defilement issue and we need Jesus and Everyone who walks through these doors are in the same place in need of a heart transformation. If we don't allow that to be a reality that we live out of in that gospel welcome, strugglers won't come near the church. Strugglers won't come near the gospel because we were just creating barriers just like these Pharisees and religious leaders. Let us not lose sight of that, church. So let's consider this Isaiah text a moment and just kind of expand what Jesus quoted. If we actually turn to Isaiah 29, where Jesus quotes, Isaiah is in the midst of judgment. Their indifference to God is so clear by the leaders and the people. And this is what the Lord communicates to them in verse 11. The vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When, a man, when, men, when, a, when men give it to the one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read it, for it is sealed. And when they give it, the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. He goes on to talk about them just embracing commandments of men and not the commandments of God. And even in their unbelief and their hard hearts, that's what they're opening up but they can't see just because they're so indifferent and they're so hard and so blind, lack of hearing, lack of understanding. God promised a day when God's people would see and would hear and understand. And you see this in verse 18 and 19. In the midst of judgment, in the midst of identifying their unbelief, this is what the Lord says. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah spoke of a day when words of a book somehow pull those who are in darkness and gloom with defiled and sinful blind hearts who just give lip service, who hearts were far from the Lord, somehow there's a transition that takes place and they're able to come in humility, poor and needy, and they would find fresh joy in the Lord. Whose words, whose words would they hear? They would hear the good news through the Son, Jesus, the words of God, the words of life. He says, hear me and understand. Receive my words that take defiled hard hearts and cleanse and soften them. This is our, our need. This is our greater word that comes to us. Jesus' words to the paralytic earlier in Mark says, your sins are forgiven. What was the dilemma there? Was the healing greater that he was able to get up and walk, or that he had something happen to him in relationship to his his sin, a cleansing that he needed at the most deepest level. Forgiven. He says that to us, church. He says that to us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the great exchange. The defiled become clean because the clean one became defiled for us. That is the good news of the gospel church. And everyone who will see him as savior and know they need this sort of cleansing and heart transformation from those transformed hearts by his spirit, by his grace, can now allow our hearts flow from, rather than coveting to thanksgiving, rather than pride can move in humility, rather than slander, blessing, and building up, rather than lips that are hollow in their worship are filled with lips that want to please him and honor him and bless him and do the same with others. This is why our hearts need attention. Proverbs 4 reminds us that, that we should guard our hearts with all vigilance for from it springs life. So I'm not sure where you are this morning. As you heard that list today, maybe those, those are challenges for you this morning just to say, I need, I need to confess my sin. Well, he is faithful and just when we confess to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come to the one who can cleanse you at the deepest level. Maybe maybe there's just an overt awareness of shame and guilt because you realize I have participated in these and more, and I'm just, I'm overcome with shame about those things. Come to the one who can cleanse us today, who can cleanse you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Maybe you're here and like all of us, like me at times, can fall victim to just allowing our lips to say something detached from where our heart is. Maybe you just need the Lord to renew the joy of your salvation. Maybe there's a place where the Lord just needs to connect something that has just been sort of dormant in your heart as to the things that you've been saying and communicating. Come to him. Just confess that to him. Ask him to do something with that by his spirit, and he will bring your affections alive to him by his spirit. David knew his religious actions. The King David were not ultimately the thing that God wanted, but he wanted his his heart. He 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 wanted what flowed from his heart, and he knew his sin needed to be dealt with, and he knew that God was merciful and gracious. This is what he prayed in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite, a repentant heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Defiled hearts don't repel him. He he wants us to come to him with a prayer like this this morning. And there is abundant mercy. There is abundant forgiveness for us, church. Amen. Amen. Create in us, Lord. Create in us hearts, Lord, that long to, to please you, to love you, to follow you, to love you. And Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to earn that cleansing. We don't have to get cleaned up to get clean. We, we come to you, Jesus, by faith in all of our mess, and we say, have mercy, Lord. And according to your abundant mercy, Lord, you do blot out our transgressions, because your cross was sufficient. Your cross was sufficient to cleanse us from all of our sin, and, and then create in us Hearts that would then be compelled by love to follow you and love you. And so mold in us, Lord, contrite hearts, broken hearts. Create in us, Lord, hearts of, of worship that are shaped by your words, Jesus, by your promises, by your spirit. Lord, if there's... Any here that are caught in sin today, caught in sin and just continuing to move towards that sin, Lord, would you allow them to turn to you, Jesus, in faith and find forgiveness and find freedom this morning? Those overwhelmed with condemnation and guilt and shame, would you remind us, Lord, that Jesus, you nailed that shame to the cross, our guilt to the cross. Thank you for your goodness to your church, Lord. Goodness to your people. We love you. Church said, amen. Amen.